Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Eric Pelton. Eric has launched his trademark law practice in 1999, following his work as an examiner in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. He represents clients in all aspects of trademark clearance, registration, maintenance, transaction, and disputes, and he's particularly experienced in the federal trademark registration process, obtaining more than 3,000 USPTO registrations on behalf of clients, and also working proceedings before the Trademark Trial and Appeal board. So he is Mr. Trademark Law. Um, He's helped to build and sustain strong brands for hundreds of internet ventures, software companies, inventors, restaurants, and all kinds of small businesses. And he just released his first book called Building a Bold Brand. So welcome, Eric. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. So you obviously are, as I mentioned above, you you are the expert in trademark protection, particularly for small businesses and and consultants and marketers, etc., why should we care about trademark protection? Why is that so important today? Thanks for the excellent question. Trademark protection is more important than ever because there are more and more brands than ever. And consumers, of course, given our phones and our computers and the way that our lives are these days, interact with more brands than ever on a you know daily basis, hourly basis, even every every minute on social media where you're seeing ads and things like that. And as a business owner or a marketing manager for a business, protecting the brand is one of the most important things you can do for the business because without protection for the brand name, which is in many ways the essence and the core of the brand and how consumers find it, share it, relate to it, come back to to purchase more, review it, rave about it, tell their friends about it. Without protection for that, a, a business is really at risk. I think you're absolutely right. And, and my book, Marketing Above the Noise, I talk about this, that it, there's so much going on out there that how do you stand out? And if your brand just looks like everybody else's brand, you're going to fade into the woodwork. So you definitely want to protect it. But is it harder to do this today where we have social media, we have, uh, you know, people that are picking things up on, online and, and globally? Uh, it, do you find that it's more difficult today to, to manage trademark protection? It's probably more difficult to come up with a creative name today because there okay. are so many other names out there in any given industry. One thing people often forget is that you you only have to worry about what's, generally in your industry or related industries. So um, someone who's opening a restaurant doesn't really have to worry about whether there's a software program that has a similar name, unless that software has something to do with restaurants. And But it is more challenging to come up with a more creative name because of all that noise that's out there today. But that makes it even more valuable. And it's not really more challenging to protect it. It's really the same process that has been used for decades, for generations, to go through and protect it. And it's, in fact, more valuable than ever to protect it because of all of the competition and because of what a registration gets you today 
when it is registered with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in terms of showing up in the database when other people are looking for potential names, in terms of using the R with a circle to help notify the public that this name is important and protected and valued. And it's also, the registration is also a valuable tool in enforcing against potential domain name issues, social media username issues, and on marketplaces like Amazon and eBay and Etsy and places like that. Interesting. So if if someone were, we have all this fake news and people fishing and pretending to be things they're not, but if I have a registered trademark, does that make it easier for me to go back and say, uh-uh-uh, you're not right, I'm the one that owns it? Uh- yeah, absolutely. If there is a infringement dispute, like you mentioned, whether it's intentional or accidental, and they both happen all the time, because I know because I deal with them all the time for clients, when there is such a dispute, if you have a registration at the USPTO, it so much more often than not makes it faster, easier, cheaper, and less stressful to deal with, because you know, it's not an open and shut case necessarily, but it's much closer to an open and shut case. And when you can send off a letter to someone who's copying the name and show them, demonstrate to them that the mark's already been blessed and registered in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and that you've already invested in protecting the brand, you're so much more likely to convince them to change the name quickly. Okay, so it sounds like you've convinced me. We definitely need to have our trademark protection and you have, in fact, trademarked my brand, so um, so I, I'm right. Full right. disclosure: we have your brands registered. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. <laughs> so, what makes a strong trademark? Because if I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think about what I want to, um, what I want to use as a trademark, how do I know if a trademark is strong um, and something I should focus on, or not so strong, and maybe I should look for something else? Right. So, I've been using with with writing this book that I've. Um, taking my 20 years of experience working with all different types of brands, big and small, in all different types of industries, and thinking about brand protection from start, to, from creating the names, all the way through registration and dealing with disputes. What I what I've I what I've figured out is that a strong trademark is a bold trademark, and I think it's much more exciting to talk about it as a bold trademark, in that the name. To, co- to come perfectly back with your phrase, stands out above the noise. So a boring name for a pizza place is, you know, Joe's New York Pizza, or there's a place <laughs> down the block from my office that makes great pizza, but it's called the Italian Store. And there's probably 20 places that are called the Italian Store or some variation of that. And if you look for it on a map or you search it, you, you know, you may find the wrong place. It's not it's not going to be memorable. But if you have a great name for a pizza place, like there's another place in the other direction called Flippin' Pizza. That's like <laughs> fun and creative and bold and a little bit cheeky. And their marketing all plays off of those themes. That's much more likely to resonate with consumers, to stand out, to make a difference. And that's why bold trademarks are worth the effort to come up with. And you said something it's harder to find a creative name. Um, sometimes it seems like every name you could possibly think of has been taken. And so somebody creates Google or they create, you know, YouTube or some other made-up word, right? Um, are we better off kind of making up words and then kind of trying to be bold about that? 
Yeah, so it, it does take more time today probably. It, it, it's not simple, but it is absolutely worth the effort. And what I recommend um, businesses and marketers do is sit down and first, and I know this is something that you're well aware of, think about what are the messages you're trying to convey with your brand. Who are your mm-hmm. customers? What are you trying to say about your business? What are you trying to communicate to them? And then you boil that down to maybe five or ten key words or phrases, and then you start playing around with synonyms and, root, and roots and syllables, and sometimes, yeah, either creating a new word or combining two words. There's a lot of tools that um, people can use and they can read about them in the book, um, whether it's alliteration or rhyming or a combination of words like YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, is tube nickname for television, right? So it's not completely out of left field, but it's strongly suggestive of what the name is. Another great name like that is Netflix. Flix, a, you know, slang for movie, net for internet, um, you know, is a, a great name, and it's unique, but it's made up of common parts, so you don't have right. to completely reinvent the wheel. Got it. Great. So what are some mistakes that brand owners make when they come to protecting their trademarks? Because you, you can have this great name. If I just put a TM or an R on it, am I done? What What mistakes do people do? Right. So the first mistake is that they wait to register. Um, and they sit on it for a while. It's almost always, if not always, better to file sooner rather than later. And in fact, you can file before you've even launched a product or a service or a business. You can file what's called an intent-to-use application to begin the process and start getting your protection to get in the public records. And that's the best way. Now, sometimes it's too late because you're already operating and you're growing and now you realize or now you can afford to go back and do the trademark protection. But wh- when, wherever you are along that timeline, now is always better than six months from now or a year from now because when it comes to trademarks, time and dates and history are important when it comes to potential future legal disputes. So that's the first mistake. The second mistake is that people often try to do it themselves or they use a cheap online service that's not really a law firm or attorney advice. And that can lead to sunk costs or it can lead to mistakes that harm the protection. Um, Or it can lead to, quite often, people contacting me and attorneys halfway through the process and then having to spend a lot more money than they would have spent had they done it properly up front. Yes, it's an expense, but it's like insurance for the brand, and it's not a tremendous expense. For between $1,000 and $2,000, a business can register and protect its trademark generally. Which is not a lot of money. Absolutely. So when you're talking about for what you get, yeah, for what you get, it's not a lot of money. Sorry. When you when you're talking about um, protecting um, a trademark, I know there's the U.S. and then there's, I guess, Canada, Europe, and then there's China and India, where Russia, where trademarks, intellectual property seems to be kind of freewheeling and no one follows the rules. How important is it to have international trademark protection and can we really protect our trademarks in a place like China or Russia or India? So it is difficult in some of those countries, and China is is really the most difficult one that I've encountered um, repeatedly. I don't have a ton of experience dealing directly with Russia or India. Um, but international protection can um, be possible and can be valuable to businesses that do 
business abroad. So I generally tell my clients that they should think about international protection if they have a significant amount of business from any given country or region. So generally when I say significant, I'm, I'm estimating you know 20% or more of their business coming from the EU or from Mexico or Canada or China. Um, and there is one registration available for the entire EU, which does provide a good um, value because it's less expensive than going country by country. The other time... Yes, we may need, we when may need to, one for England soon, too, if Brexit succeeds. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and the rule, of course, the regulations and the rules are still being sorted out. It may be possible that if you file today for EU, you still get protection still long term for, for for UK. So there may be another any, reason uh, to file your trademark guidance. soon. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, but you would um, do you tell people look at where the countries that you're you're doing business in, or is, is it like, gee, after the US, we should do Canada and Europe, and and that's kind of the next thing? How do you kind of direct people about international um, trademark protection? Yeah, it really differs a little bit industry by industry. It's where their money is coming from, where their customers and clients are coming from is where they should look. The only um, exception to that would be if they have manufacturing in another country, which Ah. most common is China but can be other places, then it's generally worth registering in that country to make sure that the manufacturers and the people who are working there and the contractors can't steal the trademarks and the intellectual property as easily. And then in addition, in those situations, they want to make sure that their agreements with the manufacturers and the other written terms cover trademarks. And yes, it can still be challenging to enforce in those countries far, far away with different intellectual property rights, but at least those those give you tools and weapons to have a chance if there is a problem, um, so they're advisable. Excellent. So what should I do if I find someone is copying my brand name or using my intellectual property, my trademark, in a way that I'm saying, wait a minute, that's not me? Um, what do I do? Do I call you? Do I send, we send a cease and desist letter? What's sort of the way to, to kind of proceed with that? Yeah, yeah. Generally, the first thing you want to do is document it so that you have a record in case it changes um, or in case you need to come back to it later. Um, and then generally, you want to consult with an attorney because there is some risk in in reaching out on your own. And there are some cases where there may be a legitimate fair use or, as I indicated earlier, they may be in such an unrelated industry that it's not actually causing confusion is actually not actually uh, a legal infringement. But if there is a legal infringement, then generally the first step is going to be working with a lawyer to send a cease and desist letter to try to nip it in the bud and resolve it as quickly as possible and save both parties the costs and risks and expenses of going to court and litigating, which you know can be quite extensive. So I know that... Um you know, in, in marketing, we teach about you have to protect brand names because they can become generic if you don't. Like the idea, you know, the ones we always talk about were Kleenex for tissues and Xerox for copiers. You know, and today people say, I'm going to go Xerox something on my Canon copier, right? So is there a problem if I if I don't protect my trademark and it becomes in the public use, do I lose the value of that? That's a wonderful question. And it, amazingly, right, Xerox and Kleenex are still registered and they are still fairly strong brands. 
they have evolved over the years to be careful that they never use the word as a verb. Okay. So you'll notice I actually have a package of Kleenex in front of me on my desk. <laughs> and under the, the Kleenex logo, the Kleenex name, it says in very small font, brand tissues. So uh, they're making it clear that, that they want they want you to know that the category of products is tissues, not Kleenex. Right. Um, and that's, that's more, you know, their lawyers probably made them put that there. Um, but you see the same thing with, you know, Google and Uber and Amazon. Sure. People are using those phrases when they're not always talking about a single brand. They, they, they tend to use them more generally. And, of course, as a marketer, the, the marketers are generally happy because it means their brand has penetrated the cultural conscience, conscience mm -hmm. and <laughs> is everywhere. Um, but legally, it is helpful to use an R with a circle with it. It's, you know, to get it registered, to use an R with a circle, and then to avoid using it as a verb when possible. But, you know, it, as we said, Kleenex and Xerox are still registered, Jacuzzi, Windbreaker, there's all kinds of Popsicle, Frisbee, all kinds of things that are registered trademarks that people would be blown away by. Um, so it's very, very hard for it to actually become generic. So, it, it, you know, for 99.9% .9 of brands, they, they don't really need to worry about that. Okay. So one of the things I, I'm hoping you can clarify, because I'm not sure everybody gets it, is what's the difference between a TM and an R? And if I, if I haven't gone and registered my trademark, should I put a TM after my brand, or what should I do? Right. So working backwards, you can use an R with a circle only when it is registered, meaning the process has been completed and the USPTO has issued a registration and assigned it a number. And that application process generally takes about a year on average. But anyone can use a TM or an SM, whether they have a pending application or whether they haven't even applied, or even if they've applied and been rejected mm -hmm. for some reason, they can use TM and SM. And that is wise. It does show people that you care about the brand and that you are seeking some protection for it. Um, and it helps consumers know that there is something special about this name or this phrase. So that is recommended. And the difference between TM and SM, although almost everybody uses TM uh -huh. all the time in reality, when it's a service, people should be using SM instead of TM. So a restaurant, for example, is a service and not a physical product, and they should use SM. Now, I'm certain on the billboards for restaurants, they generally use TM because nobody really enforces this or cares, but technically they should be using SM for service mark rather than TM for trademark for a physical good. See, a podcast, a website are also right. services rather than a physical product. Got it. But as long as I'm doing, putting one of those up there, I'm in good shape, at least to start. One is better than none. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. And, there's, God, we can go on for hours. There's so much information about this, which is so fascinating, but we can't do all that today. So if people want to find out more about how to protect their brand and what kind of trademark protection they need, where should they go? Yeah, so they can always find me at ericpelton.com, and it's E-R-I-K-P-E-L-T-O-N, or just searching on any search engine. It doesn't have, have to be Google for my name. I will come up. Um, I'm on all the social medias, and I have my, uh, my own podcast as well. And my new book that's coming out is called Building a Bold Brand. 
And if you go to buildingaboldbrand.com, it will take you to information about purchasing the book, some free uh, tools and content for readers, and some other specials on that site. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Well, that's fantastic. And, Eric, thank you so much for being here with us. This is, again, probably not something that, that everybody wakes up in the morning and says, well, I want to think about trademark protection. But it's important, and it does help us build in and keep our brand. So it's it's definitely good that you're here to tell us what we need to do and what we need to be looking out for. Thank you for helping to spread the message. I appreciate it. Great. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.